0: Hey guys, what's up? It is week 215. I got a little mustache in honor of all the people in these movies this week that have freaking mustaches. Um, first, we're gonna go over the Years of Lead, which uh, has uh, Merli in it, uh, Maurizio Merli, who's a, a Polizio Tetsi Euro kind of crime actor. Although in his movie, he doesn't have a mustache. But we also have, um, geez, the main character in No, the case is happily resolved has a little mustache. Kind of similar to this, just a little bit more upkept. Um, Count Christopher Lee is Count Dracula. Also has a, a awesome mustache. The only time he donned I think a mustache as Dracula. Um, none, he never had one in the Hammer films, if I'm not mistaken. And finally, of course, Bronson. The uh, the one based on the criminal. Also Charles Bronson, the actor had a mustache as well. No, no Bronson acting movies in here, just the uh, kind of weird biopic, semi-biopic by Nicholas Refn, uh Winding Reffin Bronson. So I guess we're going to hop into this and start with this box set from Arrow Video called The Years of Lead. And I love when Arrow does this. They'll take kind of like a, a like a, a subject like American horror project and they'll have somebody put all these movies in a box set um, this is a really unique kind of set, to be honest. It's five or Polizio Tetsi films, um, all made during the heyday. But in the 70s, although America had their whole vigilante kind of crime thing going on, too, with the, the nitty-gritty stuff and all that, um, Italy also had, I know like you had a lot of those New York movies where it's just like crime everywhere in all the streets and everything like that, and you have the vigilantes popping out, like Death Wish and Vigilante and hundreds of other movies. But... In Italy, I guess in this time, I think I said it started in the late 60s and ended in the late 80s, was this ridiculously violent uh, political turmoil that was happening where you had extremists from the right and left just um, kind of causing all this terror, uh, damage and murders and bombings. And even the freaking uh, prime minister or president, whoever was in charge, was actually kidnapped by one of these groups and executed. Uh, after being held for like 50 days, I actually kind of went down a, a slight rabbit hole, which I wish I would have got to go deep down in because it, it's like you're thinking all these different countries have their own politics, and it's very complicated in, the, in your country as well. Like when you think about it, and then like you're like, just to dive deeper in somebody else's politics, you're like, this is even more uh, insane than half the politics here. But uh, they kind of had all these like groups um, that they're like left or right, and I started going down, and there was like the Red Brigades, and there was so much information and history, and it just is kind. Kind of really great to know a little bit about that to watch these movies. And I have seen a handful of Tizio Tetsi movies. I'm saying that wrong, I know, but that's the best you're going to get, or Eurocrime films. I've seen, uh, you know, Agno Castellari movies. She's uh, the High Crime, I think, is the one um, with uh, uh, Franco Nero. And of course, I've seen um, Revolver with Oliver Reed and uh, Fernando Del Leo, a bunch of his films, and, and Almost Human by Alberto Lenzi, Armed to the Teeth um, uh, by Alberto Lenzi. So I've seen a decent amount of these. i um, all five of these in this set were first-time watches. So, and, and before um, anybody, I, I would highly recommend this set as a whole. It also has a little bit of a, a like a booklet in there as well with Cliff Notes and Troy Howard's in there. I started reading some of that and he starts going over the history of the director of the movie. No, the case is happily resolved. But, okay, so that was the big movie that I had heard of in the set. No, the case is happily resolved. And it, it has a lot of... Um, you know, I, I would say fanfare, and it's kind of unique and different from my understanding. Um, the Savage 3 was also one that I had heard about before because it stars Joe D'Alessandro. So saying that, let's start with The Savage 3, which is the first one in the set, and... um I believe this is the same director who did No, the Case is Happily Resolved. I think he did both of those. But um, The Savage 3 stars Joe D'Alessandro, who is not an Italian actor. He was kind of one of these guys who went over to Italy to become kind of a star, and he cut his teeth on acting in Italy. If you guys know Joe, or they call him Little Joe, you know, from the song Velvet, the Velvet Underground song. Um, He was kind of made famous or got his start in the Andy Warhol scene. Uh, He was in stuff like, um, you know, Trash, Heat, Flesh, Flesh. Those kind of movies by Paul Morrissey, and he eventually made the move to Italy where he was in um, Blood for Dracula, Flesh for Frankenstein, and a slew of these Poliziotessis. He's also in an Arrow film um, that they put out called The Climber, which is a pretty cool movie. But okay, this is different. This is obviously making a political statement here. Uh, In this one, we have these three kind of guys that work in an office. They're always being pushed on by, you know, the man, the boss and everything like that. And they seem decent. They seem like they have a decent life. They seem very, you know, working class, but decent people in society. And it turns out that they have, you know, uh, a thrill for crime. Joe is the leader, he's taken um, these, these three guys, they all have different backgrounds too, and that stuff that's kind of eating at their lives, their their home lives, and their work lives, and all that kind of stuff, and we get glimpses of that, of course, so we kind of see them causing this huge, like, soccer riot and that, that's shown in the very beginning as Joe is witnessing these rats um, do this, they're, they're, they're perfectly fine when they're confined and have enough room for themselves, but when you throw them all together shit happens, and, and they kind of lash out and that's a big, obviously, kind of metaphor right in the beginning, that these, like, when they're there's enough room and, and you know, everybody's fine. But when something goes wrong and everybody's crowded, it just kind of becomes chaos. And that plays into this movie for sure. But anyways, uh, through their kind of like crime spree, they're kind of trying to stay, uh, on the down low and everything like that. And something happens where a murder, um, Happens like an accident. It's, I wouldn't say accidental because they pretty much did. It, but it's this violent act, and somebody's killed. That's like an in um, you know an incident for them. Like a um, what is that triggering incident for these three? And led by Joe, they start this horribly violent crime spree. Crime spree. There's a detective, of course, on their case who actually has a connection with Joe. He kind of likes to go to his you know workplace and try to get him to run the numbers for him and everything like that because he's a big gambler. But you know the cops a little bit more clever than that. And I don't want to spoil too much on the plot any more than I already have. But um, this one is in Italian only. Um, there is no English uh, dub for this one. Um, and there's this like kind of like it feels like an American rock star rock song playing, and it, it seems very familiar. It's probably a band that I would know, or or a band that a lot of people would know. And it just blares throughout the whole movie. It's kind of like their theme music. It's really awesome. Uh, I was actually taken back how violent this was. Um, you know, because I like I seen a few of these, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, they're very action packed, and there's some really exciting stuff in here and car chases. But the actual brutal violence in here was like, oh shit savage three no shit savage three um there's somebody killed with the forklift um but after like they have that initial incident of somebody being killed they just turn to monsters um this is a really solid movie really recommended there is some features on here um a lot of the stuff has been ported over from the um Oh, jeez, what was the label that put these out? Um, Obscura, cam- camera, Obscura. Um, let me get the features on here so I don't make a mistake. A lot. The only bad thing I will say about, like, if you watch a bunch of Poliziotetsis from a box set is, like, Giallo or something like that. They have a lot of the same themes and, and actors and stuff, so they'll bleed together. So I'm going to try to keep them a little bit more separate for you guys. So um, let me see the special features on this bad boy. There's so much stuff in here um, that I'm going through. Okay, so uh, they're not in order, apparently, so we have Rat Eat Rat, an interview with the director, writer-director um, Vittorio Salnardo, and actress Martine Brocard on Savage 3, the Savage Savage one, an interview with actor Joe D'Alessandro, um, I love that, he goes over his whole career, and he doesn't hold back, you can tell this guy's not holding back, he talks uh, about how, you know, Paul Morrissey didn't seem like exactly the nice guy, he said, kind of pissed me off a lot, talks about, you know, the stunts not being exactly safe, and he was, kind of start to refuse to do explosions because you know it was no longer safe he's getting burned all that kind of stuff so that was a nice little story on there and uh yeah that there's um also what else is on there it looks like that's it for um savage three uh yeah i would really recommend this one this was probably my favorite or second favorite in the set um although you know it's a personal preference on the stuff like that but i do think it's also one of the better made movies maybe maybe not i don't know they're all really good in their own way so yeah that is the savage three Okay, so the next one in the Years of Lead box set is Like Rabid Dogs, not to be confused with the um, Mario Bava movie Rabid Dogs or Kidnapped or whatever the alternate name is, but uh, Like Rabid Dogs. Okay, so here we go. This one it has some very similar has a lot of similarities to Savage Three, but it has its own unique twist kind of too. I think that the cop is a little bit more proactive and more you know kind of focused a bit on this one so instead of you know middle class or working class people lashing out um, against you know society in general almost seemingly like in a way that's just like violence you know or, or just kind of going nuts, this one the killer. Has a group of two, three. I guess it's a killer's, but really we only know much about the, the, a little bit about the main guy. We know his story. And he is a rich kid that resents his father's riches, resents his father's friends, but he's also a sadist. So I, I think so. I mean, he's very brutal and very horrible. So him and his friends, um, a guy and a girl, they go around and they rob and they cheat and they steal. A lot of it is focused on his father and everything like that. And it's up to a police detective who's very working class and his hands are tied. We have that kind of deal. The, you know the laws against. They'll be out in the streets. That kind of deal. Um, he kind of is trying to figure this out and stop them from committing the violence. Even though he knows exactly who it is, he just has to find the evidence or catch him in the act. So um, this one, again, some really brutal stuff. In the very beginning, we have a suicide because a woman has lost her husband We have um, them, just the three of them are just absolutely horrible. And there's a couple parts when I said, oh shit. I literally said, oh shit, when people get shot, big squibs coming out their back. Surprised certain characters died at the points. I was actually terrified for um, a character that the cop uses, uh, uh, that he has like a relationship with. He kind of uses her to his advantage to kind of lay low as a prostitute or kind of go undercover as a prostitute to get these guys' attention. And there were scenes during that where I was like very, very... um, I, my nerves were wrecked during it. I was like, oh, no, 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 no. And a lot of the prostitute stuff and like, and a lot of it Euro horror in general or Euro, not Euro horror, Euro, this isn't horror, but Euro films in general from this time period, like their prostitution is so much different than Americans in movies. Like you'll see like American prostitutes in movies on the street corner under a streetlight and all that. In like Italy and even France and all those countries, you always see them on like a darkly lit country road. It's not even lit really. It's a country road, maybe a barrel with some fire and all the prostitutes are just kind of standing around there. And it's, it's like the same location in all these movies. Some of it reminded me of Brigade of Death, and the French film, which is an excellent movie. kind going to get released by Mondo Macabro, I think, this year, possibly. I'm not sure if the wide release is coming out, but it's a great movie. And um, all that kind of stuff. And I remember like every prostitute movie here is that. So, like, there's just some really mean spirited and brutal stuff that's just unpleasant as hell. And I like the cop in some ways, how he, he resents even the people that are trying to attack the rich people because they don't really. He, You know, this is—he doesn't care because the people are doing his trash, and it's all a bullshit reason, and they'll never truly understand, anyways, what it's like to not be privileged and rich and shit like that. But it's just a complex thing going on, and but he's also a horrible idiot. Like he just puts other people's life at risk, and he's just not a super smart guy. But anyways, uh, the um, very ending of this movie is a is a knockout. It's got a real great ending um, involving a mob, which I thought was genius and worked perfectly for this character. Just desserts, man. Just desserts. So um, on here we have... Um, okay, Rat eat, Rat Interview. Sorry, it, it's kind of hard to figure out where... I'll look at, If you look at the back of all this, it's all just a big blob of text. I should have been a little bit bear, more prepared for this. But okay, so we have... Okay. Uh, When a murderer dies. An interview with cinematographer Romano Albini and film historian Fabio uh, Melidi, I'm terrible with names. On Like Rabbit Dogs. It's not a time for tears. An interview with assistant director Claudio Burnaby on Like Rabbit Dogs. Music sampler for Like Rabbit Dogs. Um, And then we have that's for the other one. But yeah. So again there's some other features on here. They're all ported over but they're they're fairly new within the last five or six years. So yeah Like Rabbit Dogs. Also one of my favorites from the set. Maybe my second second favorite or first it's it's right up there at the top like I was just taken back like we had that one two punch I watched them in order of the set I watched Savage 3 then like rabbit dogs and I my jaw was on the ground I was like man these two I I've never really heard I've, I've heard Savage 3 in passing but um I've seen like I said I've seen a lot of pleats Tetsi and these two were never really brought up that much so these pack a punch both very good Okay, this next one here is Cult 38 Special Squad. Um, this one is a little bit different. This one is like, instead of focusing on like young youth, or young youth, that's like a double, the youth kind of going out and causing this horrible like violence and everything like that, we're a little bit more focused on actually a police officer and a, squ- a special squad he creates to kind of, you know, stop these uh, these these criminals. And the lead criminal is Ivan Rasimov. The guy who leads the special squad is a French actor, I believe. And he's in stuff like Robert Altman's Images. He's the kind of um, expired lover that's popping up. Is, is he a ghost or not? I'm not sure. He's also in Chino with Charles Bronson, where he plays the baddie in that movie. So he's a familiar face for me. He is the heroic type, question mark, in this one. So essentially... What we have here is this really awesome, amazing shootout in the very beginning where these uh, couple baddies are captured. One of which is the nutso guy from Hell of the Living Dead. You gotta shoot him in the head. That guy, you know, the crazy guy in Hell of the Living Dead. If you don't know who he is, I'm sorry. I don't know what to tell you. So, um, he captures in this big shootout, end up capturing a couple baddies and, um... This guy is hyper-focused on catching this special, th- these bad guys. It, it's, very, it's very hard. Um, they have a lot of power. And pretty soon enough, after the special squad is kind of you know hitting the streets, uh, using special guns, which special bullets are not supposed to. There's four of them. And um, the, the, the criminals start to use bombs. They start to plant these bombs all around the city. And it uh, the stakes get really high. This movie has these moments where after a bomb goes off, they take the time to kind of like zoom in and go around the area, and they linger on the 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 after effects where there's just like bodies strewn in the streets, and they some are dummies and some are real. So like there be like all the bodies are twisted. So you'll have like they do it on purpose, obviously. So like there's like a fake head that's kind of out of you know view, and it just is. It's very effective, even though I know I saw the same fake. Head a couple of times. It doesn't really bother me, I guess, you know, but that kind of stuff really kind of put it in place, especially if there was a lot of terror acts going around, um, uh, in Italy at this time, this really had to kind of hit home with people, you know, and just, it was kind of bothersome to be honest, the, the after effects of watching a whole place get blown up. Um, that stuff in movies is just scary in general now because it's, very much a fact of life uh, where there's just bombs going off in certain places. Although I've never had to witness that thankfully, but I know that it is a little bit more common now than it was when I was very little, even in the United States, but maybe not. I don't know, but (laughs) it does happen. I know. Uh, So after like seeing all these bodies strewed up and everything like that, I thought that was really effective. Um, The bad guy, like I said, is Ivan Rosimov. He's solid in it. Um, And this movie packs a punch in the very beginning. The very beginning is very solid, very entertaining. I was very happy with it. And then there's a little lull, just just a little bit in the middle, but it picks up at the end, and there is an amazing uh, stunt involving a train and a car that my jaw hit the ground again. I was like, Oh my God, I can't believe they're doing it. And it was, they started zooming out on it. And I was like, is that what's happening here? Am I reading that right? I was like, that is what's happening here. That's freaking awesome. But yeah, this one, I, I like this one as well. It's probably tied with third place or maybe, um, the, the, one of the movies would be the best, but there's something about it that just rubbed me a little, a little, it's the most important, I would say most definitely. But this one is not, I'm not talking about this one is the most important, but I did really like this one as well. It was very entertaining, um, violent, and and uh, yeah, there is um, stakes too. Like some of the guy good guys actually get killed. Um there's one part that made me laugh out loud where they kill one of the criminals and there's a shot of him like hiding behind a pillar and he's like looking this way and then like after he's dead, um they're like uh showing people like witnesses photos of the care of the person, and they literally pull a picture of that still of him leaning against the pillar but in black and white two seconds before he is killed uh, from the movie, and they're like, have you seen this guy? I'm like, hi how the hell would they have that picture as like as evidence as his reference photo? What the fuck? But still, it's just like, all right, whatever. But it made me laugh out loud. It's like, you can't just use a still from the movie. You can't use a publicity still from the movie for the guy's reference point as a witness. Okay, but uh, it still made me, it, it, I'll, I'll, I'll let it slide. Anyways, I, I enjoyed this one. Good action in the very beginning and the very end. And I do like the idea of chasing the bombs, trying to stop it, Reminded me very much of Die Hard with a Vengeance uh, that came out much later. So uh, what we have here is um, Archival Introduction to Cult 38 Special Squad by uh, Stelveno Asipirani. Um and the music's great in all these movies too. I should admit that. I admit not admit it, but I should mention that because it's a it you know it's a lot of the big names here, Cipriani and um jeez, I know there's some other guys. You guys know the big 3, so. And then what else do we have? Um a tough guy in interview with editor Antonio Sil... Ceciliano on Cult Thirty Eight Special Squad. Um, hearing hearing me pronounce these names has got to be comedy gold or very annoying to some people. Always the same uh, old seven notes. An interview with composer um, uh, Cipriani on Cult Thirty Eight Special Squad. Yeah, and then of course as lossless audio. I should mention that. I think that the first three in the set are all in Italian with no optional English dub. Um, This one might. um, It's kind of tough to remember all these. I know that Like um, the Savage 3 and Like Rabbit Dogs is only in Italian. Um, There's actually no... subtitles on here i mean there are subtitles jeez i'm kind of ranting off there's no english dub when i usually i only mention this because i'm so used to watching my italian films in english dub especially the older ones just because i always felt like you know the actors come from their countries they speak their native language on set and they dub it over and post anyways why not watch it in english because the actors that i know that are going to be matching up best would be from english but from you know would be speaking english on set oh and sometimes they dub their own voices other times they don't It just, I know, it is what it is. It's going to be dubbed anyways. Might as well watch it in English. Um, Yeah, this one is enjoyable. It is good. Yeah, so check it out. Okay, the next one from the Years of Lead uh, set is Highway Racer. Um, starring uh, Maurizio Merli, And this this director, what was his name? He's done a bunch of them, and I actually had heard briefly of um, Highway Racer, two, but I never watched it. Uh, Maurizio Merli, he was an actor that popped up in a bunch of these Polizia Tetsi. He was kind of one of the faces of it. Um, he was hired because he looked a lot like Franco Nero. He was the Franco Nero type, and Nero had done a couple of these, so he kind of was in those after that. Um, there's actually a nice little featurette on here that talks about that a little bit, talks about this movie and everything like that. So um, this one is more lighthearted. It's a bit different. And that's what's cool about this set as well. They kind of wanted to show you the, the, you know, the, the the range of the genre not just the real brutal stuff not just the stuff that you know critics would call fascist uh they're showing you a little bit of everything so it feels like you have different kind of terrorist groups and different kinds of criminals and all that kind of stuff which is nice um so highway racer this one's a bit different uh Merle is a, a cop and there's like a i guess like group of drivers i don't like highway chaser cop or whatever they chase bank robbers and stuff it seems like some unit small really really um a detailed unit or something specific. Uh, so I don't know what the hell is going on with that. Anyways, uh, Murley, uh, he's basically in the very beginning, he tries to catch, he's a good driver, but he's not the best. Him and his partner try to catch these these super fast criminals that are robbing a bank. He has no success. He actually gets in an accident. And that's kind of his MO. He's, he's kind of reckless, gets in accidents, never can, you know, catch these guys. And uh, his partner's always complaining. He's like the comedic relief. He's always complaining about being scared to die and everything like that. Um, and the chief's always on Murley, that he's not good enough and he should just give up and everything. And it's a real weird relationship they have, you know, with the chief and Murley and all these other criminals. The criminals have this kind of, uh, the criminals and cops have this code amongst each other where there's like a weird respect. And the main criminal is, him and his gang, you know, the main criminals kind of forcing them to like kind of respect because he has a history with the chief. So there's, there's like this back and forth kind of like almost like. I want to say pulpy kind of aspect to it, where it's almost uh, like James Bond kind of stuff, where they're like, "Yes, I know exactly the game, and we're going to play it fair, and everything like that." Even if you know you're a criminal, anyways. But there's some really good chases in here, cars going down steps, all that kind of crazy stuff, cars turning on their side, where it almost becomes cartoonish. Um, it's not uh, as violent as the other ones. Nobody actually is like shot to death, although somebody's. Body gets hit with a car and there's no way that person's alive that one made me actually terrified for the stuntman usually in a lot of these movies you'll spot the dummy 10 miles away in an italian movie you know they're very famous for dummy deaths but uh in this one somebody is hit and it looked like they sped up the camera sped up the footage but it still looked very fast and i was like oh that guy's messed up i that guy's that guy's hurting man so uh, yeah, there, there's that. But the ending, it sets it up brilliantly, the final race and all that kind of stuff. Merrily's character in this is a miserable asshole. He, he acts like a 12-year-old kid. He's just so like entitled, and just he gets somebody killed, and it's really on uneven when that happens because it's like a, a certain character that you're just like, oh, I just feel really awful about this. And that's the intent, but it just almost seems a little bit weird. This one's probably my least favorite of the bunch. I don't... It just... Maybe it didn't hit as hard. Or maybe it just wasn't as interesting to me, or maybe I just needed to see more shooting. But it is enjoyable, and he, of course he goes undercover and infiltrates the gang from the inside because they're impossible to catch otherwise. But there's a lot of car stuff going on, car talk and all that. And he's good in it. He's very he's um but he's just kind of a dickhead at the same time, which I guess you'd have to be kind of a dickhead to want to have that job in in a way. But um so yeah. So what do they have as special features are on the highway racer? So this one was in English. You could watch in English or Italian. Um, so we have Faster Than a Bullet, an interview with film historian Roberto Curti on Highway Racer, which I thought was really great. Um, that's where he kind of breaks down the career of Merley a little bit and this movie and compares it to other ones. I thought that was very interesting. That's about 20 minutes long. So, yeah. All right. Coming to the final film of the Years of Lead box set is No, the case is happily resolved. And this one I had heard about... Um, it's it's it, like I said it, it had kind of a comparison and i had heard it brought up in the same kind of breath as a citizen um, above suspicion or an a, a citizen investigation of a citizen above suspicion sorry that's a mouthful of a title but yeah that that kind of one that came out a couple years uh, I think before it at least um, that one's a really great film about a police corruption and everything uh, and a cop who's just breaking the law and trying to be caught or, or somewhat it's just an insane movie I think I covered it on here so this. One. No, the case is happily resolved. Um, this is a really good movie and it really um, points out a lot of uh, excellent stuff here. So what we have is this kind of working class guy. One day he's fishing and he overhears this woman screaming. And he goes to check it out. And what he witnesses is a very brutal, awful murder of an older man beating a woman in a field with a club. So they spot each other after it's done. And they look directly at each other. He runs away. He drives through these country roads, trying to find the police, trying to find help, but to no avail. Um, It just seems that every time he tries to do something, it just something gets in his way. The guy's following him. He decides not to report it. Um, he decides he can't talk to his wife. He's having all these problems, and he's just not that intelligent of a guy, really. He's kind of a screw-up. He's just very nervous. He's naive. I'll say not intelligent. He's not dumb, but he's naive. He's very naive to the situation, and honestly, it points out a thing about human beings that's very true. They don't want to get involved. They don't want to ruin their day. They don't want to have to go in and and tell all the cops and have to go in every week, and they don't want to do, I guess, their duty as this movie would call it, and, and report it to the police. So, Uh, Quick enough, the actual killer, knowing a little bit about uh, the guy who spotted him and everything like that, decides to go in after and report it to the police and say that he witnessed a murder, gives a description of the witness of the murder and says he did it. So it gets really complicated. So the newspapers start running the story. He remains anonymous. It shows pictures of him, what kind of car he drove, and it just starts eating away at his life and driving him absolutely crazy um that's a a great bit with a mustache because he has a mustache where he's having him take it off um paint job all sorts of things he becomes obsessed his life completely falls apart and you really are not sure what is going to happen the whole movie points to one ending and you're like It's perfect to end that way, and it's the way the movie's been building to, building for, and its message would really come across properly. And, they tack on a shit ending on it. That's just... And I would compare it to Who Saw Her Die, which is a great movie, but at the very end they have this really dumb scene that's just kind of wusses out, and no, the case is happily resolved. It's the same deal, unfortunately. Still a great film. Still brings up a lot of great questions. Um, And... uh, (laughs) And really, if I witness a murder, I'm going to the police right away. Or at least calling anonymously and letting them know what I saw and how the person looked and everything like that. I will never let this happen to me, okay? Because, um, but though, again, like I said, it's not that far-fetched for somebody to witness something awful and not want to get involved because your question, you miss work, you become uh, somebody that the newspaper or the media is going to be focused on. It's just... People just want to go about their day and their lives, even if they witness something horrible. But it just gets complicated, especially when the witness um, starts to look into the criminal himself and they have a face-to-face and uh, the media newspapers get involved. Actually, the, the journalist guy, is the um, lead detective in The Savage 3 as well, which is the same director. So, yeah, it's just a really interesting movie. There is an alternative ending, too. They actually put the alternative ending on there, which is the perfect amount of question mark on this one. It leaves a little bit of hope, but it doesn't completely uh, show you the other way. I think that the original ending was actually great. And I think if they kept that ending, this movie would have been the best movie in the set um the score sticks in your head i just it was very memorable i don't know exactly how to explain this so i'll probably just try to play it through this but it's just a great score it's very um i don't want to say repetitive but it repeats a lot and it gets stuck in your head but um this is a very good film with it's very well acted and it just it just works really well until the ending of course which is unfortunate but a uh, great set all around um so what do we have? Uh, we have an inter- Mother Justice, an interview with writer-director Vittorio Salvanaro, uh, Know the Case is Happily Resolved, alternate ending to Know the Case is Happily Result. original trailers for... Um, okay, so yep, that's what we got here. But there is also... Um, Limited edition collector's booklet in here featuring new writings on the films uh, by Troy Howarth, Michael McKenzie, Rachel Nisbitt, Kat Ellinger, and James Oliver. There's two of my favorites in there in Troy Howarth and Kat Ellinger. Both awesome. So, yeah, this set is great. I would highly recommend picking this set up. Um, like I said, I like when they do these sets that aren't like a series or anything like that. They take like uh, curated movies and, and somebody picks this set, like picks five of these plezio testes and tells a story because it tells a story about film history and cinema and everything like that. And this set does that. So, a highly recommended set. Um, all of them look great and uh, sounded great. I think they're all in LPCMC. Um, so, no, like 5.1. That's probably the original sound mix they, they were in. Anyways, great. Great freaking set. Highly recommended. Um, yeah. It's just, you got to see it. If you like Tetsi's or you like European films or you're interested in what I just said, take a dip in there. This is a good set to get you started, I think, to get you a, a wide kind of variety of what you you would see in this genre. But, remember that there is some brutal stuff. So um, this ain't your typical, you know, American action film, although it's kind of your typical American drama action film from the 70s. Kind of has some similarities for sure. But uh, yeah, this is great stuff. Okay, this next one here is from USA, and this is The Paper Tigers. This is a martial arts film. didn't know much about it. I like what WellGo does, and this is a PG-13 martial arts film, and it was kind of nice to see something a little lighthearted after years of lead, although it's not like, you know, completely PG or not without action or substance or anything like that. Not saying that PG-13 movies are lack of substance or anything like that, but... uh, So, okay, Paper Tigers. This follows a story of this group that were the Three Tigers. They had a um, Sifu, which was their master. Basically, he taught them everything. We see this uh, this whole life of them. Um, we actually see Sifu murdered in the very beginning by somebody in shadows, this old man. And when we realize um, that he was the master of these uh, three young men through this like this videotape, like they go through time, and when they're 12, all the way up into modern present day. And then we realize that they have separated, they've gone about their lives, and we kind of follow the one character who's obviously struggling with his uh, son. His wife and him are divorced, or they're not together anymore, and he, he's just not a good father. It's very typical stereotypical. I'm not a great father because I don't have much time and I'm just teaching my kid lessons and I'm not who I used to be and all this kind of stuff there. So he's completely different and one uh his friend Hing from 25 years ago shows up and tells him that Sifu is dead. Um, of course these three had some problems um, that broke them up and we kind of learn history throughout the movie but of course the three tigers have to get together and kind of discover what happened to their beloved master they have some help from some people in the past and and of course they figure out what happened and they're going to have to have a final showdown to honor their friends and honor their Sifu and all that kind of stuff so um, yeah the thing is the characters are really fun in here the back and forth actually had me laughing quite a bit especially the insults um, there's one of the guys who put on some weight obviously he's got a bad knee there's one of the guy who lost a lot of weight so there's these stupid little immature jokes going back and forth that it shows their characters for sure which is funny to me where um they're getting in a fight with a group of kids and one guy says it looks like this guy ate half of this guy and it's just like just my high school mentality sometimes has had me laughing about it i don't know maybe i work in a bad work environment but that kind of cracking on people stuff just makes me laugh even though it's inappropriate but uh yeah so of course it it gets dramatic and you get attached to the characters because they're making you laugh throughout and they have this back and forth my favorite part of the whole movie was there was a character that you saw in the flashbacks that they set up that they always kind of picked on in the the karate environment or it's not karate. Sorry. It's Kung Fu um, that they picked on and uh, fought a lot and they always beat him up. And now this guy has like moved on and he's like running his own kind of, he's like a seafood master himself and not necessarily a master, but he's, he's right under a master. And he's really good, and he's really big, and he's still a little sour and bitter about what happened. So the jokes and back and forth between all of them is absolutely hilarious. I love that stuff. I, it was a great rivalry in here, but you could still tell that they're on the same side. That stuff was very funny. Um, I enjoyed the fights in here. They're not anything like you'll see in the crazy Shaw Brothers stuff, where you're just like, I can't believe these people are doing this in a wide, and there's no cuts, and it's just insane. Um, it's not anything on that to caliber, or like um, I would say as good as Jet League, or a Jackie Chan or something like that. But it's still really good and entertaining and I, I'm i not the guy to going to tell you that your fight choreographing is terrible because what can I do? Unless it actually is really terrible and very noticeable garbage like I slap like like this and the guy's like, Oh, he's like 10 feet away or something like that. You got to call that out, but uh, no, it's enjoyable. It's fun. Um, I thought that it looked great. Uh, as far as the disc was it, was, it was, it played very well. It was very clean looking. The audio was great. Um, there's some nightclub scenes and all that kind of stuff, but it is kind of typical. Um, but it is at the same time, lighthearted enough that you could watch it with your family, um, get them kind of into the, you know, the martial arts films, if you're looking for it. But, The three main characters are fun, the side characters are fun. Um, yeah, and there's some obvious lessons in here that all these movies have anyways. Enjoyable paper tigers. Good stuff. Okay. This next one is the Patreon pick and I can't remember who picked this one. Sorry about that. If it was Tom Broker or geez, but anyway, this is Bronson by Nicholas Winding Refn. And I had seen this once before and I remember really enjoying it. It's like a biopic starring, uh, uh, geez, <laughs> I can't believe I forgot his name. How can I forget Tom Hardy's name? I literally just blanked Tom. I'm getting old. Um, The mustache is affecting my brain. Excuse King. Anyways, Tom Hardy from great stuff like The Revenant and, of course, the Mad Max Fury Road. A slew of things. Venom, uh, which I've not watched. Anyways... Bronson is Britain's most violent prisoner. He's a real person. He got his name, obviously, from actor Charles Bronson. He is a fighter. He's been incarcerated most of his freaking adult life, if not most of his life anyways. But uh, this is a strange film. Uh, And if you watch the special features, Nicholas Reffin basically says, when I was making a prison movie, I wasn't going to do it like a typical prison movie instead of making it, you know, masculine. I was going to make it feminine instead of... And he kind of switches all these things around. He's like, I didn't see, you know, Bronson as as uh, you know, a violent criminal brawler, and you know that's like I see him as like a showman, and like you hear some of his like recordings and everything like that, and he's just like one of these guys that can just twist on a dime, and he's a unique, interesting character. He's never killed anyone to my knowledge, but he's fought a lot, and he likes to fight with the police, um, and it's a strange structure too. It doesn't go in chronological order. We see a little bit of his childhood, but we see other parts kind of. Going back and forth, and we see him incarcerated out of prison here and there, but what I love is um as tough and as mean and as as violent as Bronson is. there's is this human side to him, and you see that when he has relationships with women um which cause him to out like lash out at times. We see it when he his parents come to pick him up when he's initially released from prison. And I absolutely love that scene, how nervous he is. It's just this great performance by Tom Hardy that is just unique. And although Tom Hardy, a lot of people are like, hey, he always mumbles through his roles. And, and like this might have been the start of it, but he's doing a great, great um, impression. I mean, it's, I don't want to say impression is an insult, but he's doing a great rendition, I'll say, of the guy who plays Bronson, where he's like, fight, fight. Where'd you get this? Fight. But he's just really really a great performance. One of my favorite performances when I sit back. And somebody once told me that this is a good movie with a great performance. Um, I think it's a... um A good movie that is made great by a great performance, if that makes any sense. And I do like the style, too, because reffin has got a great style. He uh, always chooses really um, interesting music, and the lighting's always great. And the scenes on the stage are interesting, too. Um, Seeing Tom Hardy in this weird makeup, singing rock and roll and all that kind of stuff, as like he's kind of this, he always wanted to be famous. And you can see that at any cost necessary. He goes through, I couldn't sing, I couldn't act kind of breaking down, you know, limiting what I can do. I just think this is a great film. I love the scene in the mental hospital, the the part where they have him all doped up and that music is playing and he's just looking up to the heavens and the camera working. And he's just like, why? He's just in hell. He's in absolute hell there. And that song choice is also perfect. Um, I'm, I'm a fan of reference movies. I like Neon Demon. I love Bronson. I love Drive. I love Only God Forgives. Um, I haven't seen the Pusher Bleeder, the Pusher Trilogy, Bleeder, or he has another one. What is it? Oh, jeez, I know. Him. Valhalla Rising. I haven't seen those. I should watch them. I most definitely should, being a fan of his other films so much. But this one is just a—it's kind of a work of art. Um, it's and I love how it's shot. Um, I like how it's done. Some of the slow motion stuff, like fighting, like a lot of the brawling looks great, and then a lot of it looks really weird in slow motion. I'm not sure if I if I like it that much, but I just don't care enough to be bothered by it because I enjoy the movie so much. Um, and the performance is really what does it. Like all the other acting, solid as well. But uh, he's just very good in it it's just a unique performance it's kind of like the story that the kind of what made him famous for me like has anybody seen like bringing him up and uh just i i love his performance in here he's not and seeing him talking the the special features and stuff he, he definitely was very dedicated to the the role and uh yeah great score uh, uh great movie I, I can't say much more about it really but i mean the quotes in here there's so many quotes to um It's just like a lot of the stuff is completely inappropriate. He is a violent criminal, so, but anyways, the voice he has is just, uh, I don't even know. It's just like I said, it like kind of stated like Tom Hardy is an actor who doesn't really talk very much from what I've seen in his movies. And, a lot of the classic actors did neither. Like they always said, Clint Eastwood was always trying to get rid of dialogue and scripts. Wasn't he? Stephen Queen was always trying to get rid of dialogue. I don't want to say that. Was just trying to get rid of the shit. And a lot of times it works effectively. You know, it, like I use a scene from The Searchers that I thought brought up. Instead of you know John Wayne like bawling or screaming or saying something when you see his face or the reaction shot of his dead family, you just see his face. Like um, reactionary actors, you know, they're not always. Um, and, and he does talk a lot in this, right? He does talk a lot, especially cause he's on stage kind of going to the crowd, but when he's actually interacting with people, he's not always the one talking. He's very quiet. He's very nervous. And when he interacts with other people, so that's what I'm kind of getting at too. Um, like when he interacts with the, the, um, the guy who sets up a lot of the fights for him and he's like, you've got really great big hands. He's just like, <laughs> that's a great scene. Um, just lots of stuff like that. Um, just the interactions he has actually with people. He's almost a little bit more silent. Um, he, you know, a lot of people, like I said, it wasn't a great example because he does monologue the whole movie, but like interactions with people, he doesn't say all that much sometimes. And that's just kind of a thing that Tom Hardy does, I guess. Maybe, I, maybe I've even seen like Lawless. I'm sure he talks a lot in a lot of other movies, but the ones that I'm referencing, what worked for me is him being kind of a silent kind of guy in the Revenant. He says like two sentences, you know, he doesn't talk very much here and there but i feel like it's a that's kind of probably a quiet movie anyways because who the hell wants to talk in that miserable existing world anyways bronson great stuff Okay, we're going to have some 1970 movies. They're going to be quickies for you. The first one is Night Slaves, which is a TV movie. It kind of veers in the sci-fi more than horror, I would say. But um, James Franciscus is a guy, um, actor. He's in this. He stars in this. He got in a car accident years ago. And he is kind of uh, vacationing in this small town with his wife. They're having marital trouble. Maritable trouble. That's exactly a TV movie. You got to have strife within the marriage or it doesn't work. So they're having some trouble here. I can't remember who plays his wife. It, it, I think it's like somebody like Lee Grant or something. somebody's in here. I can't remember exactly who plays his wife The quality picture quality on a lot of these old TV movies. When you watch them, isn't great anyways, but James Franciscus isn't stuff like, uh, the last shark, of course, uh, the second planet of the apes, uh, geez, the Dario Gento Giallo. Which one is he in? Is he in uh cat of nine tails or four flies? I can't remember which one he's in. I watched those movies for the first time back to back and they just bleed together sometimes. Although I like both of them and I remember the outcomes. I think he's in four fly. I nine tails. I think he's in cat nine tails. So yeah, he, he's a decent actor. I like him. he has got a good look. Um, good leading man look so he goes into this small town and at night he sees all these trucks with all the townspeople kind of getting in there including his wife and driving off and he's confused he's the only one not affected by it he does not understand what's happening he starts to look into it in the morning no one believes him that this is happening they're night slaves he doesn't get it um there's also some other familiar faces in here i know i'm probably forgetting a couple but leslie nielsen is the town sheriff um there, like i said there's a couple of faces in here that I recognize. Oh, Andrew Prine is in here as well. But he starts to dig and there's this one woman kind of wandering the streets that tells him a little bit. He realizes that, you know, something's going on and I don't want to spoil too much. Um, this is a strange film uh, and I don't really know how to go about anything else without spoiling it. Um, it's decent. It's a little dull. Um, let's put it this way. This movie put me to sleep like eight times. It's a very short movie. It's like 70 minutes and I don't, it's like, Dave, that's your fault. You have a terrible attention span. But, I mean, I watched Jess Frankel's Count Dracula like this on the edge of my seat for the second time. And so it's, it can't be that bad of it. At that just be, I love Jess, Count, Jess Frankel's Count Dracula. Spoiler. But, so, yeah. This movie was so dull in the beginning. I mean, the middle and the beginning. Fuck it. Um, just a dull movie with a great concept and a really solid TV cast. But I seriously felt like somebody like hit me over the head or something. Was, I was just like, Ugh. I Literally, I fell asleep like four times and had to rewind it. And I know that's on me. I know it's on me. I know, I know, guys. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But it's just a little dull. The pacing is off. Um, there's a lot of talking. And the payoff really isn't worth it. Um, so I would probably skip Night Slaves. Especially if you're following 22 Shots for the 1970 show and you're watching a bunch of 1970 movies. Watch Jonathan or, or you know The Strangler or something like the Anson Woods um, instead of Night Slaves. Okay, we have another one from 1970 called From Ear to Ear. Um, this is a French film, and the title, it's a great title, you think, From Ear to Ear, you know, the old flitting in their throat from ear to ear. There's no throat slitting in this movie. So I don't know why that title's there. But uh, this is a really incestuous, weird gothic, um, more of a thriller than a horror film, I must admit, or drama thriller horror would probably be in that order. So what we have here is this woman who's kind of struggling financially. Her husband has died. Um, She has her daughter living with her, a a niece living with her, and another daughter who is kind kind of in catatonia in a wheelchair. And they all must take care of her. Her medical bills are astronomical. They're making them go, go broke. The lawyer is kind of dating the mother, and it's kind of on the down low. And, uh, you know, it's kind of an affair, of course, I should say. But that's not the only thing that is abnormal going on in this household. The sister is screwing the cousin. They have this weird relationship. And I had—I was taken back because it's 1970. I was like, is that what's happening here? Are they actually cousins? And seeing the mother referred to them more as it went on, I was like, they are. So they have this weird jealousy over each other. They both have their own kind of like, you know, men on the side. But it's just a weird movie. So it's not much happens, to be honest. You kind of have this setup where something, you know, triggered the sister in the wheelchair, and the girls are getting this big scheme so they can have a party and something horribly, I don't even want to say tragic, it's just all in out murder. But through this murder, they figure out what caused the daughter to have catatonia, and it's pretty disturbing, it's pretty gothic style, and it's actually, the end scene is the only real whore scene in here where I was like, oh wow, that is really messed up stuff. Uh, It has a decent amount of nudity, especially for 1970, there's a lot of explicit stuff going on, I would say, and the lesbianism incest is enough to kind of be like, wow, that's a little ahead of its time for sure. Um, All the uh, people in the film look good and stuff, and there's a decent amount of nudity, like I said, but I really can't. I, I would give this a, a recommend just because the time and the, the weird gothicness and the uh, the reveal and the, the um, boundaries, I guess it pushed for the time. But that's from ear to ear. Great title, even though a little misleading. So, yeah. OK, the next one from 1970 is Crow Haven Farm another TV film, right? I'm knocking all these TV movies out. So this one, uh, who's the big actor in here for me? It is John Carradine. That's right. Got to have John Carradine movie in 1970. I'm sure he was in 37 movies, um, this year. I'll find out anyways, uh, Crowhaven farm. So this opens up in kind of a Gothic style. We're at one of these, uh, what do they call these? When, uh, somebody's died and they're giving away, they're reading the will. So the lawyer basically, there's a, a, a couple there, a, a middle-aged couple, like maybe 40 or something, mid 40s at the latest, and uh, a very uh, an older man, and they're reading the will, and he's supposed to inherit Crowhaven Farm, if he and if he goes there within a week or something like that and inhabits the farm, otherwise the couple get the farm. So, um, it starts off, this movie takes no time starting, it's like 70 minutes, it doesn't have any, like, air at all, it's just like, go, 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 almost, I don't want to say it's to his detriment, because, you know, it's a TV movie and it doesn't have time to, you know, pat things out, it just really has to get going, so, right in the beginning, um, this guy gets in a car accident, and he dies, and the farm goes to the couple. They move in quickly, the, the wife has some real awful feeling about it, almost immediately, like, uh... She's having flashes of the past, she thinks, and maybe ancestral stuff. So she's just not wanting to deal with it. The husband wants to keep it because he's a painter, and this is a great spot for his paintings, and they're they're on the broke side. You learn that this couple has not been able to have a kid. So that that's been haunting them, they're having marital trouble. The husband is extremely jealous of everything, and the townspeople are kind of coming around so fair- with the flashes and the the paranoia, you start to kind of get a rosemary's baby feeling going on, right, you know, even down to the husband getting basically good work after, like, with John Cassavetes when something happens. So it's it's kind of a rip of Rosemary's Baby, to be honest, to a certain extent. But it does have maybe, like, a flashback to the puritanical witch times and stuff, which I thought was kind of cool as well. So instead of that. But it is kind of a cult kind of style film. Anyways, I, I like the location. Uh, they end up adopting a young girl. I mean, I've been, like, all over the place. But I like the location. I think it's fairly well acted. I think the flashes are decent. Um, It's a little... um. I don't want to say uneventful because the pacing is good and it gets straight to the point, but it's not exactly the most thrilling film um, of all time, but I do think it's good and I do think it's worth your time. And there's some decent creepy stuff here, some deep, decent creepy elements, Um, but they, uh, you know, adopt a young daughter, and that ties into the past and everything like that. Um, anyways, I thought this was a good film. I enjoyed it, uh, and the it, it, um, it's all set up well. What happens is set up well, and the ending has a little role by William Smith, a uh, great actor from. Um red dawn and a bunch of other films you guys will know him from maniac cop i think he's in the first maniac cop he's just a big strong guy he's in boss with fred williamson i think he's the main baddie that he fights at the end just a character actor great character actor but anyways um that's Crowhaven farm a decent 1970 tv movie yeah i would check it out I you, hey, Shiner, get in here now. Oh. what what is this? Zombie Bloodbath 2, Rage of the Undead. Oh. What? You ain't seen Zombie Bloodbath 2,
1: Rage of the Undead? Nah, no, I guess I must have missed that one. You ain't seen nothing.
0: You ain't seen nothing. I've seen way more than you. Mm-hmm. You haven't seen Taxi Driver, Goodfellas, Casino, Cannibal Holocaust, The Beginning, The Great Escape, Kelly's Heroes, Once About a Time in the fucking West.
1: You haven't seen War and Peace. Pink Flamingo. Casablanca. Gone with the Wind. Citizen Game. The Alvin and the Chipmunks Christmas Special.
0: You haven't seen... Hmm, what else haven't you seen? The Magnificent Seven? The Magnificent Seven right Again? The Magnificent Seven Are Back? Is that a movie? And last of all, you ain't seen Zombie Blood Bat 2. Rage of the Undead. And you haven't seen War and Peace? I ain't watching War and Peace. The hell you are. Fuck War and Peace! Hey guys, we're here for You Ain't Seen. And this is my pick for you. Mm-hmm. And I picked a 1970 movie because I was going to watch it anyways and I wanted you to watch it. I picked the legendary 1970 right, by Jess Franco, Count Dracula. Starring Christopher Lee, Herbert Lom, Klaus Kinski, Miranda Soledad, and Jack fucking Taylor. That is a great Euro cult cast. Um, okay, So this, like I said last week, was the only, uh, not the only time that he played Count Dracula besides the Hammer movies. There was a comedy movie too. But he did this in 1970 in the middle of the Hammer Draculas because I think that Jess Franco was going to allow him to read actual lines from Count Dracula. Um, This is closer to the book. Than anyone would actually expect from a Jess Franco movie.
1: From a Jess Franco movie, yeah.
0: And I think it's one of the closer adaptations I've ever seen of Dracula. They condense things, they change things around just to make it a little bit more short and convenient, but also at the same time more logical than the actual original, original <laughs> Dracula book, because you don't have the inner, you don't have all the notes, so you don't see exactly happening. Like, if they were to play Dracula as it played without showing any of the... It would make no sense, I don't think, without any of the you, background you stuff. You can never
1: adapt Dracula as it's written into any production, period. It, it It's too long. It's too... It might work as a TV show or like a miniseries. Yeah, I think there was one um, recently that just came out. Yeah, but I, I think that it's too disconnected. I mean, there are like maybe three yeah. arcs in Dracula. Um and they're really separate from each other they they don't really logically flow into a narrative because
0: the book isn't written in that way it's it's, strange it's written by diary entries everybody does that and then like even in like towards the end of the book van helsing gets one and you're just like "Ah," you can tell brand stoker was trying to avoid doing a van helsing Mm -hmm. one until the very he was like fuck i gotta do a van helsing one even though it's gonna screw up the structure of the story because i haven't had him write one yet right so okay um this one condenses a lot of the characters like the prince and uh um seward dr seward is in here but the prince seward and quincy Jones, quincy morris is it quincy jones or quincy quincy morris i think um whatever the, the texan is all kind of mixed into one character and that's jack taylor um Although Seward is in here, he's almost more of a non-character. He's a man. non-character, yeah. Um, this starts with Harker, of course. Harker mm-hmm. is in Dracula's castle. We have the great gothic setup of him riding in the carriage, and everybody's saying, don't go there. I'm warning you not to go there course he goes there they have the great scene where christopher lee as the uh stagecoach driver actually picks him up and you know it's dracula because they do that in the book too it's obviously fucking dracula but he's like condensed and like he mentions that like i think that was the same guy but that's a really cool scene um instead of wolves we have these dogs they're just like german shepherds mm-hmm. kind of wandering around which i love it um so it actually has some of the direct lines uh you know he does creatures of the night uh that line which Bela all the ghosts he got to do as well which is probably the most memorable line in dracula period um, became the most memorable line at mm-hmm. least in uh, in cinema is so um yeah i thought the opening was really solid really dead on um after harker kind of wanders and is found in the woods they change things around um he sets up everything for dracula to kind of move and get situated but i love the scene I, i'm a big fan of this movie Rewatching mm-hmm. it i love the scene when he does the whole basically now that was a dracula when Lee does that whole speech about the Dracula' killing mm. things, that's from the book too. like there's so much good stuff, like, yeah, Lee's great in this one. this is I don't I don't care what anybody says I know people are like, horror Dracula's way better made movie. It's not shoddy. It's not shit. Lee does better in this movie. He does do better. Lee um. gets more to do. They gave Lee freedom, and he's fucking one of the best actors, especially when it comes to horror and cult f- films. Mm-hmm. Lee's one of the top three actors when it comes to that kind of thing you know when he's
1: doing the hammer stuff um specifically i think the dracula hammers um he, he he's reserved i mean there's one where he doesn't even talk and i i i, I like, like him in those movies don't get me i, wrong. I mean i do like him but uh, i think a good majority of like this sc- he's not in them for very much screen time you know most of like he, in the first movie sure he he has some good scenes in it but I'd say every movie thereafter, a good half of the runtime is them trying to just resurrect him in some capacity. So, you might get him for five, ten minutes at the end. But like, what's and Sometimes he, he's not even in the movie. Right. Sometimes he's not even in the movie. You know, he he pops up. He 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 might have a few lines, and then
0: he gets taken down by a bush or something. <laughs> you, you know, it's Hot. like Homer bush. Um, right. Also, we're saying this like thinking that we knew how unhappy Christopher Lee was doing that Dracula role a million mm. times so maybe we're putting that on the movies as well right. anyways um, he, he has a mustache in this one which I, I, I like he obviously had to differentiate the look so people wouldn't be like I don't understand how this one comes out right after this one and this one because those kind of have like some sort of coherent storyline unlike the Hammer Frankensteins which are all over the fucking place I mean, it, it, you can't make ends meet to that it's obviously not a continuation of the series mm. um yeah so when harker finally wakes up they change things around now he's at uh, seward and van uh, Van helsing run the school van helsing is obsessed with the occult so that's why he has renfield there because renfield supposedly had a run-in with the vampire renfield is klaus kinski who else would fucking klaus kinski play in this movie Mm -hmm. um although he did play nasferatu a couple times um it, but Herbert Lom is a great choice for Abraham oh, yeah. Van Helsing he's one of my favorite actors as well he pops up in stuff like The Sick The Dead Zone uh, The Secret Life of Dorian Gray um, and he's just got this really great and the Pink Panther movies, a class about him I just mm-hmm. like how he's reserved how he delivers his lines and there is this brilliant scene where he goes full Rud Steiger and just like has a stroke, which I was right. like, "What the fuck is happening?" I forgot about that scene. Like, like they literally have him like sit, like it's almost like he's having a stressful moment. He just like looks up and he just like has a stroke, and I was like, and then later he's in wheelchairs, like, "I had a mild stroke." Like, yeah, the there's, there's, like when, when
1: sus started to like fall apart, and it is like a minute scene where like he, you know, he's at his desk and he like looks right at the camera. And it just, like, zooms and he's in like, on his face. Just, like, or, shaking, like,
0: his head. I was yeah, just, like, there's no
1: dialogue. <laughs> it, and I didn't know what happened. Right. You know, and <laughs> like, when I'm watching, I'm like, like, the only one that can take down Dracula is the Phantom. And he would like, put on his Phantom yeah. of the Opera mask. <laughs> we said that that would be a
0: great idea because he played the Phantom in right. the uh, Terence Fisher hammer. Right. If we had a, a movie where it was the Phantom of the Opera versus Dracula, where Dracula's in the audience because he's high class and likes to watch sophisticated things and he sees, um, I can't remember the actress, that um, the singer that the Phantom's involved with, who's training. Sees Christy. her... Christy sees her singing and he's like mm-hmm. I must have her reminds me of old love Phantom's like uh uh-uh, uh that's my star pupil <laughs> Phantom and Dracula are going at it Phantom's setting traps realizes he's a vampire he has mirrors and garlic and this shit mm-hmm. and Dracula has to go through it would be awesome the Phantom first Dracula what was I going to call it the vampire of the opera right vampire, come on yeah, right. vampire of the opera that right, that writes itself but then going back to, to the Franco
1: Dracula like the very next scene is like they're at an opera house
0: <laughs> yeah so like that's why we came up with it it was like perfect Um, Jess Franco's actually in this too, and he's like, he's very reminiscent of that role he plays in, um... Uh, one of the is it vampiros lesbos where he's this guy whose wife was taken from him and like he's just he's plays like the renfield character in that but he plays the same kind of character in this he works at the mental hospital where dr seward and ben helsing run mm-hmm. and i feel like he's a former patient because there's these really weird fucking moments where like, he calls him in and he's like go go do go like you know calm renfield down and he's just like he doesn't say anything. He just stares at the screen, like, hmm. And if anybody knows how Jess Franco looks, he's like five foot and he's got like this hair and he's just like adorable. He's like this little cute little right. thing. Like, he cracks me up. I love Jess Franco. Like, I think I like Jess Franco better than half of it, in like 90% of his movies. But like, he's just such a weird guy, interesting, like, director. He's, he's fun.
1: I, I think a lot of his movies are, are fun. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think it, it's weird. Earlier on, I think his movies are stronger, and I think as time goes on, I, I don't know if he just if oh. he snapped or
0: what. Uh, the budgets, the movie, the yeah. cinema changed, and he didn't mm-hmm. have the budgets anymore. Maybe he had too many failures, and people wouldn't pay for it. But this is the time when like Harry um, Harry Allen Towers was paying for his movies. That's the same guy who paid for the Fu Manchu movies with Christopher Lee, of course. Mm-hmm. And I think he's in another. I think is is Christopher Lee in Eugenie too? And he's in the Bloody Judge, which Franco did this year. So no, I mean like. His movies were good, like *Vampiros Lesbos* and *She Killed in Ecstasy* and *Venus and Furs*. Those are awesome movies. Yeah, those are great fantastic. Euro movie movies. Mm-hmm. And and I mentioned uh, the two uh, *Vampiros Lesbos* and *She Killed in Ecstasy* because those have and Miranda in this. And this might have been one of the first times he worked with her. He might have had one in '69 that she had a brief role in. I think this is the uh, first she plays um, Lucy in yeah. here which they switched the hair color we meant you mentioned that yeah. but she plays lucy yeah. in here and you're like why well, is she playing lucy she should play uh uh nina and i was like well because she's gonna look amazing as a vampire and yeah, then when she they, does. they show her the vampire scene in the graveyard eating the children mm-hmm. and shit i was like i told you she looks great as a vampire she has a really unique look about her and mm-hmm. she is one of these people that would have been a horror icon she still is even a handful of movies that she got to do before she died in a car accident but like you look at her and you're like I don't want to say she'd be Barbara Steele or something but she could have very well been like a big horror icon that people still bring up they still bring Mm -hmm. her up but like Jess Franco would have put her in 6,000 movies right so and then she probably would have got a little bit more mainstream success I think Mm -hmm. and maybe popped up some hammer I just see it so like the cast is great like it's just a smorgasbord of these people that it was like this is like I mean Jack Taylor in here is good as well Stewart might be the weakest link. Yeah, I mean, Stewart is... He's fine. He's a decent actor. It's just they don't give him much to do. Yeah, they, they
1: don't give him much to do. And, you know, he, they, like, delegate his character... To um, Quincy. No, I think to Van Helsing and Quincy, And really. Quincy. They separate um, everything. I, you know, I would say that, like... like, like this, I would not say that this is a fateful adaptation of Dracula. It's closer than... You've you got to remember, we watched all those Hammer ones. Right. Not one of those is even close. No, but, you know, like Dracula as a book, like when you're looking at Dracula, it's not a story about a vampire. It's a a story of dualities. Yeah. Everything in Dracula has an opposite Um, science versus religion. Science versus religion or superstition. Um, You know, traditional women versus new women, East versus West. You know, like those are the core themes of that book
0: um then there's never been a true rendition of dracula no there, no but there, there never has <laughs> there, there never will i'm be. just talking story points not themes
1: but you know even even going story points though like i said when, when you take away when when you're condensing the characters i think that a lot of it is lost um be, because like like the different character like i I don't think every adaptation of dracula is seen they just take two or three characters
0: and Combine them together. It's very hard to find the seven main characters in the, in, from the book, but I will right. say this: if you look at Eurohor in general, mm-hmm. that superstition versus science is a huge theme. Oh in yeah, Eurohor it's, it's everywhere, and even stuff like Alicarta had it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Eurohor is, is my favorite at it, especially some of the Spanish and Italian stuff mm-hmm. because it's just. Although, like you feel like these people are deeply religious and they understand it, they're very critical of the religion, and then at the very end, anyways the religion is right. <laughs> it's like a self-fulfilled, like, like, it's it's like, it's awful. <laughs> but we need it to stop the monster because the science didn't work and it's actually the religion. I don't know, like, Alicarda was like that. I love Alicarda. But it's just interesting, too. And, mm-hmm. um, some of the giallo, of course, would shit more on religion because, oh, the because and... there's no supernatural elements in those. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I, I do feel like the, the science is super... Everybody, There's always a skeptic. You have to have a skeptic. Right. And there is at first. And I, I like this one better than Horror Dracula. I know it's not. I'm not saying it's a better movie. Mm-hmm. But Harker and Quincy in this are more like... I mean, it's not just drawn out. And Horror Dracula, uh, Michael Gao, um, he just... I know it's the love of his life. He doesn't want to stake her. But he just is such a whiny bastard. <laughs> and this one, though, they probably could have used a little bit more emotion because they're sitting, like, using the spade to knock mm-hmm. her head off. And they're like, oh, let's get this over with. <laughs> like, uh, I don't know. It's really entertaining. They do switch around where Van Helsing, they make basically stay at uh, the, the hospital instead of going on the trip, mm-hmm. which was a switch up. Um, and I do like what happens to Dracula at the very end. Yeah. Uh, like, it's fried. And they do have the, um, the, the nomadic people that are constantly around Dracula and everything, too, which is another kind of thing. Like, there's a lot of stuff in here that is—it's it, basically the meat and potatoes of the story are there in a lot mm-hmm. of the stuff. So, you know, it doesn't have all the details. It doesn't have all the themes explored as well as you could but the score is great i really like the score even though it is sometimes piercingly loud to where you have to turn down yeah. it's just it's like oh wow but,
1: like there was like a lot of like it's like an ambient score yeah. in some parts and like it just it's like a, a sustained violin yeah. string and it's like this is nerve-wracking <laughs> i guess that's it but um, um
0: did you want to read the books or did you want to <laughs> yeah we can read them or I read mine before first. we give ours okay yeah
1: Count Dracula, two out of four. <laughs> you got tear on tape. By James yeah, I got O'Neill. tear on tape by... um Oh, yeah, James O'Neill, you said that. Promoted at the time of its making as the first definitive version of Bram Stoker's Dracula, this deviates from the text almost immediately and is hampered by cheap production values and Franco's ham-fisted direction. On the plus side are Lee's excellent performances, or excellent performances the Count, who grows progressively younger as in the novel, good support from Lom and Kinski and rich color photography, a.k.a. Bram Stoker's Count Dracula. We
0: we should also mention Klaus Kinski fucking insane in this movie and, like, he's just doing this, like, weird, crazy, like, kind of, like, feminine performance from him where he's, like, holding his hand out and picking up bugs. and It's a good performance. It's a silent performance. But you could see why his interaction with many of the other cast was probably limited. Like, especially you hear about, like, Remember that scene where he's, like, laying on the bed, like, trying to talk? And, mm-hmm. like, you're like, I feel like he was going to say something there, but then he just wouldn't do it or something. Yeah, like, I feel like <laughs> maybe they
1: gave him a line. Yeah, because he's, like, I think he's talking to Stuart. And, he, and like, he's, like, moaning. And, like, he moons for, like, 30 seconds, and it's like, okay, well, we're not, you're not going to get your
0: line now, Claus, because uh, <laughs> yeah, you're just doing. aiming it up too I much. don't want to talk. I'm right. not talking anymore. Exactly. So, uh, Count Dracula, Creature Features, John Stanley, 1970, two out of five stars, Spanish-British adaptation of Bram Stoker's Dracula, produced by co-writer Harry Allen Towers and directed by Jess Franco. However, a gap remains between honorable intentions and execution and the film still falls short of its goals with sloppy camera work and bad zooms. Christopher Lee believes this to be among his best work, but it's certainly not the best Dracula. Herbert Lom is Van Helsing and Klaus Kinski is Renfield. Fred Williams, Soledad Miranda, a.k.a. Bram Stoker's Count Dracula, Dracula 71, and Knight of Dracula Republic Pictures. I think that they're wrong. I am giving it four out of five. I like Count Dracula.
1: I mean, it's a good fun movie. I'd, I'd give it like a three out of five. Um, three? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. What, like, it depends on what you want from the movie. Like I said, I mean, you, you, they completely change Harker's character, Stewart's
0: character. They had to condense it or the movie would be six character. years long. I mean, you- Dracula is like a million pages. They had to, they had to condense it. And who needs the prints? They didn't need money because they condensed the area in this. <laughs> Instead of them driving like, we got to drive halfway across the world to get Dracula. Like, I know it's an epic book and a story. Although, the one thing I we would have liked to see mm-hmm. is the boat trip.
1: Everybody wants to see the boat trip. The boat trip's the most boring bit to me. Disclaimer, Disclaimer. though. I do not like Dracula. I've never cared for Dracula. I do not encourage anyone to read Dracula. I do not encourage anyone to enjoy reading Dracula or enjoy. Are oh, you encouraging people not to it.
0: enjoy it? What if they're enjoying it and then you're do like, do not I'll
1: discourage you to enjoy this. You should not enjoy this. Do
0: not ever read Dracula. Do not ever get any joy from it. Stop. Watch a million. <laughs> I read Dracula, and even if I thought that Frankenstein was a million times better of a book, I got a lot of appreciation out of reading that book because. It helped me to understand all the movie adaptations better it and does. what they lifted from it. Mm-hmm. Um, I have not watched the Universal's Dracula in so long. I wonder how faithful it is to the book. Well, Probably we're, not very faithful. We're, we're going to watch it. Yeah, we're going
1: to we're going to do the Universals at some point. I want to
0: ask you guys, which movie, guys and gals, or non guys and gals, whatever mm-hmm. you peoples, which Universal movie we should start with. Now, some people consider the Long Chaney Senior Universal, or at least like I think they would be considered. Some people say it started with Dracula in 1931, mm-hmm. but I think that we start with Hunchback, The Shock. And Phantom of the Opera with Long Chaney Sr. And just go down there and do some of those early ones. I know some people consider those universals. I'm not sure exactly on the release there if they picked them up later. They were a universal or a company that wasn't universal but they became universal. But I definitely want to start with Long Chaney Sr. movies. Because I think that without that there is no real universal monster right. history. To be honest, we're not doing King Kong, right? I don't want to watch King Kong. I don't. King Kong not really considered a universe. Okay. Not in that same vein. If that okay. makes any sense. I love King Kong. I, I do. It's King Kong is one of the best movie. movies ever made. but yes. Also, at the same but time, I think we just watched it a few months ago. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not really something that belongs in that. Most people don't consider putting it in that that list. Um, there are some what will cut out, like Shadow of the Cat, which was a Hammer movie, and Horror of Dracula, which some people consider that. I think we're going to include the Paramount. Movies, Some of the Paramount ones acquired by Universal mm-hmm. 158. There's a master list. And I don't know, the one classic monster that I don't see much of in the Universal line is Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. There is Um, but I would like to watch some of the classic Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde movies too somewhere along the line. I know there's a 1913 one, 1921, 1931, 1940... And then, of course, there's ones in the 70s with Jack Plants and stuff. But I would only... um, The last movie we're going to stop with in the Universal line would be Psycho. And I know people are like, that's not a Universal horror movie. But Jeremy hasn't seen Psycho. And I think it's the perfect place to kind of show... I know I've seen this written before and I would agree that this is like the changeover. Like Psycho is the first big one that's not like... This is kind of a wake-up call. That that Universal Gothic stuff is maybe coming to an end at some point. I'm not watching Psycho. Yes, you are.
1: I've seen... Every adaptation of Psycho. I I don't
0: give a shit. You're watching Psycho, or I'm breaking everything. (laughs) Break everything's broken. (laughs) All right. So, what movie are you gonna pick? Are you gonna do a Universal, a Blind Spot, or you ain't seen, or what? You
1: know, I really want to do the third Planet of the Apes. That's what you want to do, Blind Spot? It'll be a Blind Spot. Yeah. I don't want to do Universal yet. You 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 pick the Universals when you get there. Um, You know.
0: I got the set so all the stuff came in so we could start. should, should we do
1: yeah let, let's go and go ahead and do a, a third pandy okay neither of us have seen it, so it is a blind, blind spot, spot blind spot double blind, yeah, it's not a you ain't scene um you, you know if, if we can go back because you know we, we we never did and we never will make. A final episode of the original Blind Spot last year. <laughs> You're supposed to do that. Sorry, guys. It just don't. Next week. It so...
0: might be. It might be the week after next. People won't even know what we're talking about.
1: Yeah, they, they won't. We've already lost them. So, um, of all those movies that we watched, my
0: favorite. No, we can't do it. We gotta let people know. Do you guys want to see that still? We'll ask them.
1: Okay, we'll just save this for a deleted scene then. We'll we're see not, you
0: guys next week. <laughs> we're, we're not saving anything for a deleted scene. <laughs> next week is the third Planet of the Apes. I do not remember the name because they're all like Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, really? Battle of the Planet of the Apes, Escape from the Planet of the Apes, Battle Beneath the Planet of the Apes, Beneath the Planet of the Apes. I don't remember what order they come in, but we'll make sure we pick the right one. Right. We'll we'll get it. Yeah, because number
1: two is fantastic. <laughs> Charles Heston's not in any of the ones after that. You think? I, don't, I don't like Charlotte that. I'm sorry. I've seen him in three movies, and I'm like, he's a. Stay here. I'll be back. Terrifying looking man. He looks like if you took Clint Eastwood and like
0: skinned him alive. (laughs) (laughs) He looks like if you turned Clint Eastwood into one of those guys from Part Two. Exactly. (laughs) Okay. No, he doesn't. But. All right, we're done. Bye. Okay, let's get into these questions, answers, comments, all that good stuff. So basically what I asked you uh, last week was to any two actors or actresses, any time, alive or dead, that you would have liked to see work together or still work together. So we have Joe Carroll, Mads, uh, Mickelson, and Emma Watson, and something like Hounds of Love or Hard Candy would be amazing. Ken Coakley, I would have liked to have Lon Chaney Sr. and Tom Savini work together. The only thing is who would do the makeup effects. It would have been great to see them do a frame-for-frame remake of London After Midnight for sure. Um, I don't know if these people work together or maybe it can be a holdback from last week's question who would um, you like to see in any role? I always saw the Dawn of the Dead remake with Lawrence Fishburne as Peter, Tim Roth as Roger, Sam Neill as Flyboy, Scarlett Johansson as Fran. That's a very good cast. That's a good cast. I, I personally think Sam Neill as Flyboy is, is excellent. That would have been very good. I think he could have been a perfect Flyboy. Nick Moore. The Pirates of Penzance looks like a hoot. I'll be sure to check it out soon. Though for a hot minute, I thought you guys were reviewing the pirate movie featuring Christopher Atkins and Christy McNeil. Or is it Mc McNeil? Or Mc- I- I'm not sure on her name. I-, I recognize the name. I'm just not sure if I've ever seen it spelled out throw me off which spoofs penzance but can you spoof a film that's already so comedic it's kind of hard isn't it like spoofing a comedic movie as for which sesbians i'd like to see on screen together christopher lee and james earl jones their combined voices alone would be a music to the ears charles bronson and bruce willis what a mugging contest that would be finally faye ray and jamie lee curtis their combined screams would be blood curdling that'd be awesome uh speaking of scallywags do you have a favorite pirate film oh jeez I mean, pirate movies. For me that is not a very broad choice because I can't think of that many pirate films. And I don't I, I never had like a subgenre where I watched a lot of the swashbuckling movies, um, and pirate stuff. So, jeez. Um would people consider like any of the Harryhausen movies pirates? Are there pi- I feel like there's a lot of boat action and going shore to shore. Um, Muppet Treasure Island is fun. It's been years since I've watched that. Um, what is the, the Island with Michael Caine has a bunch of pirates in it. It's just really hard for me to recall pirate movies and the Pirates of the Caribbean movies I never really watched. So yeah, um, Pirates of Panzance is really fun. I know I'm probably missing a huge pirate movie that's going to bite me in the ass, but I gave you a couple that I like. So, and then he says, are there any constellation prizes for those who didn't win the Santa Sangre box set? Hugs and kisses from Goomba the cat. You and Jeremy Croning a power ballot. I prefer Wind Beneath My Wings, sir. Not going to happen. Which movie would you like to make a spoof of? Ooh. I think that a spoof. I, I don't know if I'd ever make a spoof, to be honest. I would make a spoof of the Amityville movies. I know my friend Nathan Rumler made Amityville Vibrator, but I would make a movie called Amityville, Give Me Your Money. Or give me your fucking money. And it would literally just be about a bunch of guys trying to make an Amityville movie. And behind the scenes of them being like uh, shoddy pieces of shit. Like, who cares? We'll this put Amityville on the title. And everybody's going to run it. And maybe just spoof that of making a bad Amityville movie. That would be fun. Yeah. So Isimisio, a lot of 70s films feature some dark, serious, subversive content that probably won't fly today. I've always preferred that decade over the 80s, no question about it. Most films have an incredible rewatch value and are more aligned with my taste, since I'm not the biggest fan of comedies or slashers. You've never seen Calvair. Holy shit. Would love to hear what you have to say about it. Adoration looks good. Need to check it out. Jay the Stingray. What's up, brother? Uh, not much. How, how you been? I know you, it's been a long time since we've corresponded. Um, I know you used to be big into working out. You still working out? Um, David Scott. Need more Heather's references? Okay. I'd love to see Marlon Brando and Daniel Day-Lewis to have done a movie together. Me, Horsho. I find Six-String Samurai weird movie because he uses a one-handed Chinese broadsword. It's not a samurai sword, but it's cool to watch, I guess. And he boasts, I drink your blood. You talked before, but I'm glad you mentioned it again. I don't know if it was inspired. I didn't know it was inspired by the Manson family. I like the redhead in the movie. He says, I watched it last month on YouTube. I saw people leaving negative comments, but I thought it was a good film. Maybe because I'm a sucker for good-looking redhead movies. Okay. creep show and Chainsaw Massacre 2. Oh basically we started a conversation on there. So he says horse cinema, I was born in nineteen seventy, I need to check out some of these films. Kentuckinator, 26.30, here here. That's when I basically mentioned how huh, bad two thousand five movies are way worse than bad nineteen seventy movies. Adam Watson, Benny Loves You is a lot of quirky fun, it worked for me, made me laugh, me too, sir. Adrian J. Smith, separate videos for each movie are much better. Why well, lump them all together? It means people have to skip through to enjoy the ones they are interested in. No one else does it like this that I'm aware of. I'm generally intrigued as why you'd do it like this. Well, I keep timestamps. Also... I make it a show because I have an audio version. Also, that way, if somebody's listening for one movie and they hear something about another movie, maybe they wouldn't be too interested. Maybe it'll catch their attention. Maybe it'll broaden their horizons. Maybe, I don't know. Also, like if I were to cut them up, I feel like putting eight movies or eight reviews up all week and rendering and stuff would take a long time, and it would screw up the algorithms. I know a lot of people, What like, if I put up like one movie every day, maybe it would go up higher. I don't think so. I think that it would actually hurt your algorithms because um, ever since that uh, YouTube kind of changed... How how it does things it's just not as easy to get subscribers or get views or anything like that unless you're already huge so okay then we have Mike Moore I like having one video even if I'm semi busy I can put it in the background until something catches my eyes and then um I don't even know how to say this something movie corner I love it so Jamal Potter Charles Bronson and Clint Eastwood. I mentioned I know they were in an episode of Rawhide together not sure if they shared screen time. Mike Malley uh, Loy. Um I seem to remember they are once in the same scene but not the same shot unless maybe just a wide and Paul Talbot posts a scene and he says they appear in one shot together to show us a still so yep um, then Jason Willard, Bruce and Brandon Lee. Troy Haworth would have wanted to see Christopher Lee and Daniel Day-Lewis work together. Renee Royer, Chris Farley and John Belushi. James Higgins, Jimmy Stewart and Barbara Steele. Carson Peters, Klaus Kinski and Daniel Day-Lewis with behind-the-scenes cameras rolling all the time. Matthew L. Furman, great topic, so many. Philip Seymour Hoffman and uh, Jackie. Yes, I'm aware I spelled this wrong. I'm not sure who that is. Um, Corey Walter, um, good news is they have a film together called The Master. Sherman Hirsch, Gilbert Godfrey and Shirley Temple, Steve McQueen and Butterfly McQueen, Peter Lawyer and Betty White, Boris Karloff and Rip Taylor, Burt Reynolds and Debbie Reynolds, and then he also has Andre Brouwer and Stefan Fentchit. Uh, not an actor I'm familiar with. Jeremy R. says, don't be using my answer as an example. Basically, I asked a question on Facebook and I said Christopher Lee, Peter Laurie. That was his answer. Um, Paul Talbot. Bud Abbott and Joe Pesci. That would have been great. Corey Walter. John Lithgow and James Woods. Zachary Puccinelli. Sid Hag and Billy Bob Thornton. Um, Rakesh Brown. A new Die Hard with most deaf as a sporting actor. I want to see those two act together again. Peter England for next week's show. Two actors, extra you would love to see work together. Gary Oldman and Daniel Day-Lewis. David Gibson. I just did a Maniac and Made Double Feature. and would love to see in an alternate universe Spinell and Angela Bettis play a psycho couple. And uh, the question of the week is going to be, recast your favorite movie with anyone. Take, like, the primary cast, even supporting whoever you want, recast it with anyone. I've probably done this already, but, like, you want to recast the Dirty Dozen, Magnificent Seven, I know we've talked about those a bit. But recast your favorite movie with anyone you could possibly want, like, so, or, or a movie you'd love to recast. So I guess we're going to hop into the Patreon uh, drawing, and I'm going to do that right on the screen before we get into the update. And remind, I am going to uh, cover Jason Willard, a movie, um, because he hasn't been drawn out in five months, so he wanted me to cover Joe Rarsh, which is an Indian movie um, from the bag. So if you have not been drawn out within like five five months or something like that, or or five draw outs or whatever, let me know and you can take one of your picks or a new pick and, and I'll cover it. So I'm going to draw five out anyways. What do we got? I'm trying to break some of these up. Okay, we got Eau Claire and Little Monsters, which I'm excited to watch again because Little Monsters was one of my favorite films growing up. So, childhood favorite there. And I have the new Vestron. What else do we have? We have Tom Brooker. I survived a zombie holocaust. <laughs> this is one I don't know what the hell it is, alright? Usually I'm, I'm pretty on zombie movies, like I know them, but I don't know what the hell that is. I've not heard about it until you you asked me to cover it. So, what do we, I got one out here. I thought I had two for a second. Jim Simon, Rated X. I think that's the one with Emilio Estevez. Maybe Charlie Sheen's in that too. So that's three. What else do we have? Chris Rivers, Public Enemy, with James Cagney, and it's the one. James Jason Willard. I guess he's getting two this this week or this time. So that's eighteen Bronzeman. There we go. Is that five or six? We should have six. Yep, that's all of them. Till next time, I guess we're gonna hop into the update. Okay, hopping in this update. First, we're gonna show this big monstrosity here. This is the Ronin Flex. Uh, it came like this. This is a, the Ice Spit on Your Grave set. They are releasing uh, Ice Spit on Your Grave and Ice Spit on Your Grave Deja Vu separately now. Got a little, oop, I bumped that. Sorry about that, guys. Ugh. So yeah, this is the set here. Got a decent hard box on there for the set. We got I I Spit on Your Grave, the original. Didn't notice that rip in there. Um, I Spit on Your Grave, Deja Vu, which I'm not a fan of. It's awful. And Growing Up, I Spit on Your Grave, which is a documentary, which I'm interested in as well. There's also a book in there. I am a big fan of the original I Spit on Your Grave. I think it's pretty much one of the quintessential exploitation films. Um, And then we have a poster in here as well. We might have two posters. Uh, Yeah, we have the original and uh, the sequel uh yeah this this set was fifty dollars on sale and i think it was worth it i'm happy i grabbed it there's a new 4k scan of the original film in there and we got a little fridge magnet so you can look at debbie moore yeah <laughs> on your fridge or you get a glass of milk or something i don't know whatever you people eat so now we're going to get into the other r- movies man target and amazon we're having these buy two get one sales again so this is when I pretty much buy a lot of the Screen Factory. We have Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man, Mickey Rourke and Don Johnson. Been a long time since I seen this movie. I remember the very ending with Tom Sizemore. That's about it. And then we have um, the 7% Solution with the Sherlock Holmes movie. This is a screw Shout Factory release. We got Vanessa Redgrave and Alan Arkin in it. So, Robert Duvall, yeah. Cole Williamson, nice cast, that should be good. Then we have, uh, The Last Unicorn, which I've never seen, but it's got good voice talents by Jeff Bridges, Mia Farrow, and Angela Lansbury. And somebody said Christopher Lee, too, so... Yeah, this is a funny story about this movie, my friend, uh... I shouldn't even say this, but anyways, you know how like sometimes back in the day when you're young, you have like recorded pornos or somebody had a porno and he was like, said he was like 12 and he found this tape, I made mean, his sister or brother, somebody left it behind, I don't know, and it said The Last Unicorn and it was actually just a porno that somebody had taped a porno over, so like The Last Unicorn was the porno for him, like the title, and it was supposed to be that movie, so it's just funny, I always remember that. So then we have The Wizard by Fred Savage, this is a classic kids movie that I don't know if I saw. There's a lot of those like that I've seen parts of growing up, and I can't remember. I mix them all up. Like What was the one that, uh, geez, the last Starfighter was most definitely one that I feel like i have seen as a kid, but I couldn't 100% remember everything until I started watching it. Then we have The Explorers uh, by Joe Dante, the collector's edition, River Phoenix, Ethan Hawke. Good price on this one. I watched this one for the first time a little bit ago. I had not seen that one. I thought I might have, but I didn't. Then we have Phantom of the Opera, Opera with Herbert Lomb. Which I I like. I like this one quite a bit. Big fan of Herbert Lom. Love Herbert Lom. Love Hammer. Like the fan of the Opera Story as well. Terrence Fisher movie. Then we have Kiss of the Vampire, another Hammer one. I have that set, the uh, the old the Universal set, but a lot of those aspect ratios supposedly messed up. This one's cool. This one's decent. Don't absolutely love it. It's one of the uh, vampire movies that does not is not involved in the uh, Dracula series or the Karstein trilogy from Hammer. So then we have Psycho, the remake. It was dirt cheap, like $8. It's all I'm going to pay for the remake of Psycho by Gus Van Sant with... Uh, Vin, Vince Vaughn and William H. Macy and who else is in here? Um and hey and Haysh, uh Vigo I don't even remember Vigo Mortensen in this. But uh yeah. Then we have The Leopard Man, uh Val Luton produced movie. Never seen this one. Good price on it. Um I try to buy any Val Luton that comes out on Blu-ray. I think I have all the Blu-ray state so far. I know there's a couple that have been released here yet. So then we have um, Colossus, The Forbin Project. This is a nineteen sci-fi movie. So, yeah. From Scream, Shout Factory, whatever it is. Scream. And then we have um, some... Kino, The Land Unknown. You guys will notice I'm starting to grab some of the lesser-known universal horror kind of horror-oriented titles because me and Jeremy are going to go through the universal horror films and I'm going to go in-depth with them. We're going to get a bunch. So, yeah. Then we have The Strange Door, Charles Lawton, Boris Karloff. never seen this one um the monster that challenged the world if I'm not mistaken this is the one with Dick Miller and Lee Van Cleef am I serious is it the right one maybe it's not I don't remember um but this is one I've always wanted to see I always remember the monster on that so maybe that that one was a Corman movie I think I'm thinking of Regardless, this was on the list again. <laughs> What's the one I'm thinking of with those guys in there? I'll never remember. Then we have the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, deluxe edition Robert Louis Stevenson's. John Barrymore. I think this is one from 1913? Not a universal film, but yeah. I'm interested in checking it out for sure. Like, looking at what people consider universal and what they don't, it's different for a lot of people. Then we have Isle of the Dead from Warner Archive, Boris Karloff, Val Luton produced. Then we have Little Shop of Horrors, Director's Cut. Great movie, a lot of fun. Rick Moranis, John Candy. Um, G. Steve Martin's in here. Edward Scissorhands, it was very cheap grabbed it i always like this movie it's been a while since i watched it so good stuff and then we have box set here the inner sanctum mysteries complete film collection starring Lon cheney jr it's got um calling dr death the frozen ghost weird woman strange confession dead man's eyes and pillow of death all i think qualify it's universals that's a mill creek set and then we have the last one i needed from the universal Horror collection this is volume five We have The Monster and the Girl, Captive Wild Woman, Jungle Woman, and Jungle Captive. This one is all like, I guess, jungle and gorilla oriented movies. So cool. And then last, we got this big bad boy, which is the Universal Classic Monsters Complete 30 Film Collection on Blu-ray. I have a lot of these sets on DVD they wanted the blu-ray set because this includes a little bit more than that. So we have Dracula, Frankenstein, the mummy, the invisible man, the bride of Frankenstein, werewolf of London, Dracula's daughter, son of Frankenstein, the visible man returns, the mummy's hand, the invisible woman, the wolfman, the ghost of Frankenstein, invisible agent, the mummy's tomb, Frankenstein meets the wolfman, Phantom of the Opera, 43, son of Dracula, the invisible man's revenge, mummy's ghost, the house of Frankenstein, mummy's curse, house of Dracula, she-wolf of London, Abacostela meet Frankenstein, Abigail meet the invisible man, creature from Black Lagoon, revenge of the creature, Abacostela meet the mummy, the creature walks among us. There we go. 30 classic monster films in HD from the studio that defined the Hollywood horror genre. So yeah, cool set for sure. Um, I grew up on the Universal horror films. I've seen a bunch of them. Don't remember which ones I have seen. I know I've watched stuff like Ghost of Frankenstein and Frankenstein a lot as a kid. But um, I, I bet there's some in here that I haven't seen. Probably a lot to be honest. So yeah, all 30 of these films are going to be watching that Universal uh, and a bunch others. It's a big list. I have like a hundred eight movies. I might not watch. We're going through even some of the Paramount ones that the Universal picked up in nineteen fifty eight. We're thinking about doing. So yeah. Anyways, uh, that should be fun. We're not going to do them all in order. We'll do them when we can. So anyways, that is a Universal horror box set. Uh, back to the video. Okay, guys. Thank you very much for watching. And as always, have a good one. Yeah.